0: Hey, what's good jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for ad-free, fan-driven Utah jazz basketball content with an analytical emphasis. I'm your host, Adam Bushman. You can find me on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. And today we're bringing you yet another draft preview for this summer's 2023 NBA draft. To do so, we have a special guest on who's going to be presenting his big board. We have AJ with us. He is a jazz fan and a Cam Whitmore unapologist aj how's it going man thanks for coming doing pretty good thanks for having me on yeah it's gonna be great we're going to dive into his uh, big board which he updated for us uh, over the weekend go into the different tiers prospects and really kind of just update the fan base on where things kind of sit from aj's mind into what the jazz might be looking at uh, as far as needs and as far as the players that might be available at the various picks that we have here in the draft. If you like what we're doing here at the Jabber Jazz Podcast, please consider subscribing either on your podcast app, uh, or if you're watching on YouTube, please give us a subscribe there. Follow us on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz, and uh, all those things will help kind of support this this endeavor and get you more Utah Jazz content that's uh, fresh, exciting, and also from a fan perspective. So without further ado, let's jabber jazz. All right, AJ. So we got your board here, which um, ha- has some has some unique wrinkles to it that we're going to dive into. But before we do, I'd love to just get your perspective on what uh, what kind of your draft evaluation process. Processes, you know, what you kind of look for, what matters doesn't matter to you relative to what kind of the industry thinks. Um, a little bit of that. Give us a preview into your process.
1: Yeah. So when I actually first started this year, um, kind of when, when we traded Rudy and Don, and it was kind of clear that we were headed this direction, my big thing was um, I, I've never really uh, diving this deep into a draft. Yeah. So I kind of just started compiling, you know, big boards from, um, kind of the main, you know, people that, that work on the draft and kind of, kind of compiling the consensus. Uh, from there, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot that goes into it. You know, there's, there's really smart people that are paid to do this. Um, so, so their opinion obviously matters. But from then, like, I just wanted to kind of use that to get an idea of where people were going, kind of what range you could find these different guys in. Um, and then you kind of just have to watch the games. You have to compare uh, the tape to um, the numbers and see see what matches up.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, you, you mentioned how how interesting of a process it is, kind of comparing what's already out there, crafting your own narrative and interpretation of of what the film Mm. and and the stats kind of say. I I mentioned over the weekend on Twitter that I'm just so impressed with everybody who are compiling their boards and offering their opinions on prospects because it it truly is no small feat to try to be holistic and comprehensive with your analysis and your evaluation of Of prospects relative to each other, relative to you know past and current players, so it really is no small feat. Absolutely, right.
1: And I think it's been a lot of fun to see different jazz fans kind of buy into the this direction that we're kind of headed, and you know look at all these different players and how they could fit with the team going forward and stuff like that. So it's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, as as truly engaging and. Exciting as was this past era of the Utah Jazz with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell under the tutelage of Quinn Snyder, with Joe Ingles and Bojan Bogdanovic, and all of the wrinkles and all of the, the excitement that was built up from that era, there really truly is something just special about diving into the unknown, that is prospects, the draft, college basketball and kind of seeing these players kind of grow grow up, and you're kind of there along for the ride. We had that with Rudy. We had that with Donovan, even Joe Ingles and others. And so it is exciting in a unique way to kind of be starting a, a new chapter that already has some some really, really big balances in in Laurie Markkinen, Walker Kessler, Oshai Baji. So we've already kind of got those check marks all ready to go. And so it really is kind of a fun chapter we're heading into.
1: Yeah, it is. And I mean, with that last group, you know, it was pretty clear that we we reached the ceiling. And so it's kind of fun to just be be kind of head first. And, uh, you know, what feels like kind of just a limitless sky's the limit type of, type of situation going forward. So, yeah.
0: There, there's a lot of unique things about this draft. I mean, we've never had a prospect like Victor Wembanyama, for example. Um, but yeah. one, one other kind of component to this draft is the depth there is with the wing position. And I feel like we throw that term around a lot. It isn't conventional to the traditional, you know, uh, positions of the court. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of like a, a hybrid or new concept that is kind of floated in into uh you know the basketball verse over the last decade i'm curious how have you kind of internalized and come to understood the the term wing and 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 what are your thoughts on the wings in the draft generally yeah so i think the first thing that kind
1: of jumps off when you hear the word wing and we just talk about wings in general is is the versatility right so you want these guys that are big and um can can defend multiple positions but also guys that offensively they can handle the ball they can space the floor they can shoot they can drive they can they can finish so i mean that's kind of the name of the game and we've heard the jazz talk about you know what their team team building strategy they want guys that can dribble pass and shoot you know you have to be able to have positional size you can have to be able to defend Um, basically the blueprint that the boston celtics you know have used to to build their team around Um, in particular uh, like the one example I have is uh, Andrew Wiggins last year for the for the Warriors. Yeah. I mean, he, he was kind of a guy. He came out, he was the number one draft pick, but he didn't really do much. I mean, he scored a lot. Uh, he's kind of viewed as an empty stats guy with Minnesota until so he goes to the Warriors, and he was he was the second best player on a championship team last year. I mean, his versatility defensively, his ability to guard. I mean, he guarded John Morant. He you know he guarded. Um, Tatum and Brown, you know, it, it just those wings, those kind of just. Um, I think Bill Simmons refers to them as apex predators. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, those kind, of, those are just the guys you kind of want to build your team around. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I thought I thought you explained it really well there. It's kind of like the intersection of of every skill that you'd want in a basketball player. You know, the the exactly. perfect kind of mix of ball handling, you know, athleticism. Uh, you know, quickness, speed, ability to shoot, finishing, um, you know, all of those different skills that make, make basketball players good. Uh, you know, wings, we, we've kind of understood them to mean the, the best, you know, intersection of all those skills. And what's exciting is that this draft has, you know, a fair number of those. Um, outside of positions, though, You mentioned how the Jazz have been, you know, reportedly really interested in positional size, um, versatility. But even expounding beyond that, what what do you personally feel like the Jazz need? At this point in the season, we... uh, At this point in the season, the team has gotten this collection of players that basically fell into their lap. And they took the entire year to see what was long term what's short term and what what really isn't in the cards at all and now we have a fairly good sense of what that might be so what's next what are the the skills uh, positions or or a, any sort of need that you kind of feel the jazz should be pursuing the this offseason and beyond yeah so I, I think the
1: biggest thing um, that they should be looking for is just ta- talent in general yeah yeah I mean for for his awesome is lowry and and walker and ochai we're still really young in a or fresh into this rebuild so um at every point in the draft i think best player available is kind of kind of the most important thing but on top of that i mean walker he he looks like he's ready to just sign him up for the next 10-15 years of being our starting center and that, that's a great thing to have Uh, Lowry's a versatile kind of front court option too, so you can have him at the three or the four. Um, And then Ochai, he... Tony's gone on and said that the Jazz view him as a Mm two-guard, so you kind of are just looking for guys that fit in with that. Um, I do still like Colin Sexton a lot. Um, I don't know if he'll be a starting point guard ever, but um, definitely a a bench piece going forward. So from there, I think... um, in my opinion, I think the Jazz should try to find a wing to to place next to Lowry and, and Walker in the front court. Um, so like like a Cam Whitmore, Brandon Miller, um, I even like a Sar Thompson to kind of slide in there. Um, but but Jarris Walker, you know, he's a versatile player. Um, a lot of Jazz fans really love um, Taylor Hendricks out of UCF. I'm not I'm not quite there as much, but. You know, he's a guy that, that I think could fit in there, even if it's not a perfect fit. Um, but, yeah, and then I also think the Jazz just need a, a real point guard, a connector, someone who can get get the Jazz in their offense, get them in their spots, and, you know, distribute. Because, I mean, Walker, Lowry, Ochai, none of them are really ball-and-hand creators. So you kind of need a guy that can,
0: can do that and, and take the pressure off of them in that way yeah I love that I've kind of been pretty I've been pretty open especially on Twitter about my views of what you know the Jazz need to need to pursue and I, yeah. I think I've kind of boiled it down to we need some passing and we need defense we've I think we've learned from our mistake of you know having a generational defender who guards the rim and that's where they're most comfortable and then everybody else kind of just tries to do their best but they're offense oriented players. I think we've learned our lesson there that scales extremely well for the regular season come the playoffs uh, that can be, that can be exposed. Now I do think Walker Mm -hmm. Kessler has, um, has some, some tendencies and some ability to uh, guard on the perimeter, but Rudy Gobert was really good at that. And and that really wasn't the problem. And so I, I feel like defense throughout the lineup is, uh, is an important thing that the Jazz need to bake into their into their roster building going forward. And then finally, passing. Yeah. Larry Markinen and Walker Kessler are just elite finishers. They are just so good at finishing off of a created advantage. And so I think if we can land some players that are really good passers who can get them the ball in that advantage... Uh, that could really benefit us going forward. That's that's kind of what we've been missing quite a bit with uh, Mike Conley um, having been traded to Minnesota when Kelly Olynyk's out of the lineup. There's just a lot of players whose tendency is to is to uh, use the possession themselves as opposed to finding who has the advantage and delivering the ball to them. So those are kind of the things that I've identified as as what we should be going after. Totally agree. Yep. So let's dive into your board then, shall we? Let's do it. And first up, we have Victor Wembanyama, number one. He occupies tier two, not alone. This is probably the first big surprise, not alone. But with who you have, number two, Scoot Henderson. These two occupy your tier one. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to start here because... This is a little bit unique. Most people have Victor on an island and then Scoot either maybe in a tier by himself, maybe with Brandon Miller, Miller or the Thompson Twins. So this is a little bit unique. So I'd like you to dive into uh, into what you think on, on this subject. And is it is it something you're missing from Victor or is it something that you've really just seen with Scoot? Yeah, and so I
1: should I should probably specify this a little bit better. I do think um I think Victor's the clear number one pick. I don't think there's there's any competition for that. But on the same hand, I think I think Scoot's number two. And unless like Detroit gets the number two pick, I think yeah, yeah. that Scoot should just he should just be locked in at two because he he's a special prospect. I mean, if you remember before that, um, that game in Nevada, before the season where Victor and Scoot played, there was some real conversations about, well, I think Scoot should be number one. And obviously, Victor just went crazy and, and kind of showed why that, that wasn't the case. But um, some names I wrote down here was Scoot, I, I wrote Derek Rose, John Wall, mm-hmm. uh, John Morant, and then, then I also wrote Chris Paul. And the reason I did that, so a lot of people compare him to these just like uber athletic, you know, guards who can who can just get to the rim, finish, um, but kind of struggle to shoot. And and that's true with Scoot. Um, he but he is just a point guard that's wise beyond his years. Like he is so poised, he's so in control. He gets to his spots. Um, his jump shot looks good too. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with his jump shot as far as form gets to a spot he elevates um he hits his shots so i just think you know people who you know have wanted to to rise or have brand miller rise above scoot have just probably gotten a little too cute i mean scoots played in the g league so he he hasn't been as um in the media i'd say he hasn't been as mainstream as kind of the college guys but if he i have no doubts if he was playing college basketball he would have been the best
0: player in basketball this year (laughs) yeah you bring up a great point about i guess just the access or you know the uh the spotlight that's been placed um on you know victor scoot thompson twins you know these guys are in other leagues and Mm -hmm. at the start of the season prior to college basketball really tipping off you know they got a lot of a lot of national media buzz you know people were talking about them tuning into the games but once college basketball kind of kicked off really the spotlight you know turned away and uh and rightfully so brandon miller has gotten a ton of praise and has flown up draft boards uh, i think one of the things that has kind of complicated that in terms of analysis is is brandon miller has shot so well whereas scoot you know there are some concerns over his shot. Um, I have my own view, which I'll share in a second. But uh, you know what? Do, what do you kind of say about the concern over Scoot's shooting?
1: You know, it is a concern. You you would like to see him kind of kind of take a step forward. I mean, I've got some numbers. He was at thirty percent from three this year, uh, which isn't a good number. Seventy six percent on free throws. So probably maybe slightly below average but but like i said the shot looks good um and i'm not going to penalize him because um compared to some of these guys like amen thompson asar thompson he he's playing against much steeper competition i mean the g league is it's a good league there's yeah. a lot of former draft picks uh former NBA players that are trying to get back i mean we saw chris dunn we saw Lucas shamanich like these guys stepped in and they played really well for the jazz Um, you know, and, and Scoot Henderson is, he's averaging 18, six and five against pros, you know, and I think these high level repetitions of in game, you know, coming off a screen, rising and shooting. Um, and, and the other thing, he didn't have many catch and shoot threes. I I don't have the number I pulled up, but he, like 60% of his threes were off the dribble. So, um, I buy the shooting. I don't know if he'll ever be like a 38% shooter. But he's someone you're at least gonna to have to guard.
0: Yeah, in my opinion, he's gonna be you know a perfectly league average shooter. I see the form. I buy the form. I think maybe in that rookie season, you know he he continues to adjust to the distance from three. Um, in, in unique and different situations where it's catch and shoot, you know, maybe it's, you know, off of screens or maybe it's rising and firing over, you know, better defenders. I think he'll adjust to that. Uh, I think long-term he's going to be a perfectly average, you know, three-point shooter, but he, he really is, is prolific in that mid range and the shot looks good. It's smooth and, uh, he gets it off with a lot of room and uh and really tight for him so i don't have as many problems with the shooting and that's why you know in my opinion he's so high up on the boards because pretty much in every category i think he's got such a solid foundation and then there's some things that he's just crazy crazy elite at mm-hmm. and i mean some people are
1: also a little concerned with his size i mean he's 6'2 which which doesn't really fit the jazz um, kind of motto of wanting plus sides at every position, mm. but um, similar to Donovan Mitchell, he has a really long wingspan. I mean, so he's he's only six two, but he's got like a six foot nine wingspan, and he's I mean, he looks like Ray Lewis. He's built like a linebacker. So um, physically, I don't have any problems with him. I mean, Donovan Mitchell had his uh, kind of shortcomings on the defensive end, but I, I think that was more. Effort-driven than anything, so as long as uh, Scoot competes on that, and I don't see any problems.
0: Honestly, I think a perfect team for him would, would be Orlando. Uh, you know, they yeah. already have guys who can operate with the ball in hand. They got a lot of athletes, um, yeah. and so he can get off ball. You know, he can you know get out in transition, really be effective. And I think he would provide them some some really really. Uh, some really competent, you know, guard defense. Um, you know, I think he's active. I think he's strong. Uh, I think he keeps his body in the right positions and, uh, and I think he's pretty aware on that, on that end too. So, you know, I, unless the jazz, you know, pop into the lottery, you know, we're, we're not really in play for scoop, but, uh, but he's, he's a fantastic player.
1: He is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So let's dive into tier two then. Um, the jazz are likely to be you know competing for the services of of, uh, you know, these players, either perhaps one of them falls to the Jazz, maybe the Jazz are, you know, looking to make some trades to either move up or snag, you know, a player from a team who's already picked someone in this range, but uh, this this is one of the most intriguing ranges uh, for sure, and it's really interesting how people kind of define the tier, where it starts, where it kind of cuts off, that type of thing. So you got Cam Whitmore, number three, this is in tier two, Amon Thompson, number four, Brandon Miller, number five. Osar Thompson, six. And Jairus Walker at seven, rounding out that tier two. So let's start uh, with the, the big name right up there at the top, which is your guy, Cam Whitmore. Um, My guy. What, what, is it about, what is it about Cam? Um, I mean, you know, he kind of had an underwhelming year, started off that season with that, that injury, kind of underwhelming. Villanova really underwhelmed. Uh, but what what did you still see from Cam that has him as pretty uniquely the the number three player on your board? Yeah, I, I'm.
1: I don't know as if I've seen anyone else that has Cam Whitmore at three, so um, it is unique. And and to be to be completely honest, I kind of have three through five interchangeable sure, yeah. on my board. Uh, Cam, Amen, and Brandon Miller, I, I think are all just really special prospects. The thing about Cam um, is his com- combination of kind of that positional versatility. You know, he's that hes that just crazy athletic wing. Um, I, he's such – he's a fluid athlete. The way he moves, he's explosive. Um, he's got a developing shot. But then the age, I mean, he's, he won't even turn 19 years old until after the draft. I mean – compared to both a men and Brandon Miller, they're going to be 21 for for most of their rookie season. And that's basically a year and a half, two years older than Cam Whitmore. And, you know, I've kind of had a hard time answering, like, how much does age mean when evaluating prospects? But at the same time, I think, you know, someone with those tools... Um, they kind of had the the profile he did coming into the season. I just think you can't overlook that. And he's a guy I'd love, I'd love for the jazz to take. Um, yeah, love cam went more. Um, I got a couple numbers for you. He was, um, like you mentioned. So he had thumb surgery before the season on his shooting hand, um, over the final 20 games of the season, he was at 37% from three point land though, which I think is a really encouraging number. You know, a lot of people kind of will question his shot.
0: And a lot of those um, are off
1: the dribble, too.
0: Like, he's pulling up yeah. himself. He's not getting a catch and shoot in the corner. A lot of those yeah. are, are on the pull-up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a great number. And it kind of self-creation. Um, he loves his step back, going left. Um,
1: in the summer, before before college started, he played for Team USA in kind of the FIBA USA qualifiers, where he was the MVP. Um, he was on a team with Anthony Black, Gigi Jackson, Kalil Ware. He was the best player in the team. Um, 19, six and two per game. He shot 46% from three. So, uh, there's just a couple of markers. I I do really buy his shot. Um, I think he's going to be a good shooter. I think he's going to be a willing shooter. Kind of like we talked about with, with I like guys that are, that are willing to take shots that are willing to miss. Um, and and I definitely seen that from cam, um, the Thompson twins. I'm not so sure kind of how willing they're going to be to, to shoot the ball. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, and then Kevin Pelton, he did a kind of a stat-based projection on ESPN. I don't yeah. know if you read it or not, but um, he had Cam Whitmore ranked third. Um, the only people to match or exceed his um, two-point percentage and steal rate were Mikel Bridges, Zion Williamson, and Paul Reed. So I, I just... That's that's my guy. I'm I kind of dug my heels in and I'm sticking with it cuz I think he's going to be I think he's going to be awesome. And he's a guy I hope um slides down to somewhere the Jazz can go snag him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly, you know, the the best thing that probably could have happened for the Utah Jazz in a pursuit of a Cam Whitmore is that he went to, you know, a a program that has kind of underwhelmed that is trying to find itself with new head coach and mm. um and that he kind of had a slow start, started falling down people's boards, and even still people have him hovering around six, seven, um mm-hmm. nobody near near as high as three but uh yeah. but but that anecdote from Kevin Pelton's stat based projection is is quite interesting the The one yeah. thing I'm curious on cam there are some games where you kind of saw him just float through the game. you never felt his presence. You kind of never saw that those, you know, big highlights and just like, I'm clearly the best player on the floor type moments. Um, Obviously, you had games that were the complete opposite. But uh, how do you explain that phenomenon? Does it concern you at all? Well, I don't know. Clearly at three, it probably doesn't, but
1: (laughs) it does concern me a little bit. Yeah. Um, anytime you have these guys that, that should be the best player out there and they just kind of like – because he had a number of games where he was like four points, six points. It's like, Cam. Um, I did watch a lot of Villanova though. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was frustrating because going into the season, you're like, oh, he's going to Villanova. He's going to kind of learn to play basketball the right way. You know, you get Mikel Bridges, uh, Josh Hart, guys like that that have come out and just really had yeah. a good good career. But it, it it was frustrating to watch. Um, my frustrations, they didn't really use him a lot of times. They just stuck him in the corner. Um, they kind of let some of the upperclassmen just, you know, had the ball. And Villanova's season changed when um, I'm blanking on his name. But but their point guard came back from in, injury. You know, their season changed, and I think Cam was much more productive, much more efficient after that. Um, and, you know, he showed flashes when, when they would give him the ball, they'd let him create and pick and roll. You know, I, I just liked what I saw. So it does concern me a little bit, but I think, you know, it's just kind of the the growth that he'll, he'll take as he develops.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you kind of think, you know, just about a situation that us common folk might be in, you know, you're seen as kind of like the expert in a subject at work potentially, and you get in a meeting mm-hmm. with everybody and, the you know head of the meeting maybe the you know the executive is going to everybody else about the topic except for you like does that really make you want to participate give your all that type of thing maybe there's something there I you know sometimes I try to find you know common place or common you know folk situations that might approximate in the workplace what someone might go through in that situation so um, Mm -hmm. yeah Cam Whitmore, such a beast. Uh, I was really excited about him at the start of the season. Uh, admittedly, I I probably fell into a little bit of the trap of like, oh man, what the heck is going on? But uh, but the more I'm digging in, talking to folks like you, you know, I'm really I'm really coming back around on Cam. He's he's phenomenal. And yeah, really, the I mean, only players that compete from an age standpoint with him that are going in this range are other players that we're going to be talking about Gigi Jackson and Derek Whitehead. You know, everybody else kind of up in this top range. You know, even Victor is, you know, a good, you know, eight months older than, than Cam Whitmore. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right. So let's, uh, let's. Let's wrap up Tier 2, so Cam Whitmore 3 all the way through Jairus Walker at 7. Let's wrap this tier up by just talking maybe about ceiling and floor for these players. Like, how high could this group of players, you know, if things break right for them, how high could they go? we talk in, you know, just starters, all-stars, uh, all-NBA, MVP, uh, you know, uh, competitors. Like, how high... Could you see the the floor being if things break right? Obviously, if everything yep. breaks right for one of these guys, right? You know, just like anybody, you know, things, things could, you know, turn out incredibly. But uh, mm-hmm. g- give me your approximation of what the ceiling and floor might be for this group in general. Yeah, so kind
1: of this group, the thing that stands out is I think, you know, they're all going to be quality starters. I think you can kind of bank on that. Um, they all have just tools or, or, you know, skill sets that, that they can tap into that, it, that are just going to be, um, you know, that's just going to keep them on the floor. Um, so I think all of these guys also have all-star potential, um, you know, Jairus Walker, he, I'm not sure his offensive ceiling is as high as some of these other guys, but defensively, he's awesome. I think Cam Whitmore can be can be awesome defensively. You know, maybe even all NBA or all defense level. Same with the Thompson twins; they're they're gonna be awesome defenders. Brandon Miller, I'm a little lower on him defensively um, than others. Uh, I think he'll be fine. You know, he's he's a wing. He's he's long. He's lengthy. But I don't know as if he'll be ever be a lockdown guy. But offensively, you know, he's got some tools that that can kind of get him to to all-star level two um with him i see kind of a brandon ingram mm. type player he's a little more more three-point oriented than, than brandon miller or than uh, brandon ingram is but yeah i think i think they're similar players and yeah i i love this group if if someone from this group falls to the jazz or if the jazz jump up into into one of those four spots i'll be i'll just be super excited because i love this group
0: yeah, it really is a tremendous group, and and uh, Jerris Walker is to me what Cam Whitmore is to you. Um, I, I that's ag- your guy. Yeah, that's my guy, Jerris Walker. I, I I am really encouraged by by his offense. You know, he went to kind of like the opposite situation as as Villanova on the opposite extreme. Mm-hmm. Everybody there is good. Everybody there is kind of entrenched in a system, so you get a role and you play it. You know, there were times where for, for good reason, you know, was just a system player, was just in the corner, right? As opposed right. to Cam, it's like, hey, you're in the corner. We need you elsewhere, that type of thing. But uh, what, what really stands out to me with Walker is, is just his defense and his passing, again, two of the things that I think the Jazz uh, need most. Uh, I'm intrigued yeah. by him starting next to Kessler and – and Lari, and then I'm intrigued by him getting ten minutes a night, you know, at center in a big lineup with him, Markkinen, um, and uh, Abaji and maybe some others. So, you know, that that's my guy, that uh, I'm really excited about, and you know, he's in this group for for good reason, I think.
1: Yeah, and the thing I'd say about Jairus is, you know, even though he was kind of a system player, and you know, he didn't always have the ball in their hands, because you know, you have guys like Marcus Sasser. Um he still found ways to be impactful. Oh yeah. Like yeah. He, he was always impacting the game. Um athletically, he he's a phenomenal athlete, you know. He yeah. So I, I'm super high on Jarris Walker too. But yeah.
0: Okay, so let's transition into uh into tier three. The Jazz are gonna have a pick smack in the middle of this. Of this tier three for you, so these players, uh, I think even by consensus rankings, the Jazz were, are definitely going to have a shot at uh, you know two to three of these players. Uh, even if uh, even if all of the uh, all of the players from the upper tiers kind of go in the order you have them, you know the Jazz are going to have you know a good shot at two or three of these guys to pick, even without moving up. So let's uh, let's dive into it. At number eight, you have Kason Wallace. And number nine, Anthony Black; ten, Gigi Jackson; eleven, Durek Whitehead; and number twelve, Taylor Hendricks. So let's talk Cason Wallace here for a second. Um, recently, I think after the tournament, consensus rankings has started pushing Casein Wallace up. Uh, I've even seen a couple boards uh, have him uh, six, seven, uh, which is which is really really interesting given that the biggest knock on him is he, he doesn't quite have the ceiling. Like he's got a tremendous foundation and basically everything you want in a basketball player, but he doesn't quite have the ceiling. So what do you say to those who dismiss the ceiling of Wallace? Yeah. um,
1: I also am a little dismissive of his ceiling. I I think he's going to be a high level starter. Um, My, my comparison for him is drew holiday. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, like, like Drew, if he ever hits the level of Drew Holiday, you're going to be extremely excited. But at the same time, I think you're kind of looking at a starter, you know, uh, kind of a fringe all-star player at best. Um, but that's someone that you want on your team every day of the week. I mean, we're talking someone that can run the office and, and then just really defend the best of them, you know. So I think he is a perfect fit for the Jazz um he's he's a winning player he's going to you know pitch into the the culture that the Jazz already have in place and um yeah i'm extremely excited um one thing about him he is a better scorer than i think he gets credit for um kind of the the Kentucky team was it was a weird season for them um they didn't have much spacing you know Oscar Shibway was kind of in the middle of things Jacob Toppin not a great shooter But, um, walls, he was at 59% on pull-ups within like 20, 20 feet of the hoop. So he, he really is a a pretty solid shooter, um, that ranked in the 97th percentile. Um, one of the things that I, that I don't like about case and it's something you kind of touched on with cam. Yeah. I feel like he, he's just too passive sometimes. Like one time there was a, there was like a Saturday game. I was super excited to watch I think he took, like, four shots and scored two points. And so that's something, I mean, it's kind of something we've knocked Larry Markkinen for a little bit earlier in the year, too. Yeah. Like, dude, go... Assert yourself. Yeah,
0: assert yourself. Put Put your stamp on this game and let's go. But... That's, I actually um, thought I he did a tremendous job of that last game of the tournament against Kansas state. Yeah. I mean, he was mm-hmm. like taking over on both ends and I'm, I was really excited to see that because I think it really showed, Oh, Hey, yeah. We throw around Marcus smart, true holiday comparisons. Okay. He's showing it in a pretty big game right now. Almost, right. almost, you know, beating Kansas state. And that's what you want to see from him. Right. It's like,
1: why didn't you show this every game? But it's, it's nice to see that he can do that and the skills that he has. I mean, he was he went twenty one points, nine rebounds, four assists, two stills. He was nine eleven shooting against Kansas like he had a great game and he looked he looked awesome and you know, hopefully that doesn't, you know, catapult him past the jazz pick. Um, he might be the guy at eight, depending on where things fall. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really like Case and I, I really like Anthony Black too, but they're, they're, similar players for me.
0: Do you buy the Kentucky bump? The idea that, you know, Kentucky guards are, you know, really just put into kind of like a system and that, you know, John Calipari maxes their, uh, maximizes their production for the team, but not representative mm-hmm. of the player themselves. Then they get to the NBA and they show more. Do you buy that? Oh, absolutely. I think it's hard not to, um, I got a list of names. We got Emmanuel
1: Quickly, Tyler or Tyler Hero, uh, Tyrese Maxey, De'Aaron Fox, Devin Booker, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jamal Murray, Shaden Sharp, John Wall. I mean, these Kentucky guys, there's a very short list of guys that don't pan out. So, you know, rule of thumb, just draft Kentucky guards because more often than not, they're going to hit and hit big. So,
0: yeah, I buy that. Yeah, so this Drew Holiday comparison, it sounds super lofty, right? Two-time All-Star, you know, he's been an All-Defense player, you know, he was the third best player probably on a championship team, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, I honestly don't think we could put him ahead of, you know, Chris Middleton after, you know, what Chris Middleton did, you know, especially in the yeah. absence of Giannis uh, in that Eastern Conference Finals to, to propel Milwaukee, but, um, so that's pretty lofty. But, I mean, we, if you buy the Kentucky bump and you kind of buy, you know, that he's got a foundation in every skill set that you want, and physically he's already at, you know, the Drew, Marcus Smart level, mm-hmm. I don't know that too much has to go right for him to kind of be at that level. Like, I kind of put it as, like, 75th percentile outcome for Kaysen. So 75% of things, you know, go right for him. Then, you know, he's kind of at that level. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I, I feel like that, that could be, and, and that's, that's deserved in my opinion, probably of a top 10 pick.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's definitely deserving given the questions of some of these other guys. Um, I think there's probably guys below him that, that could have a little bit higher ceiling if, kind of if you buy a perceived ceiling for guys. But at the same time, if, if you're just offering me a starting point guard for the next 10 years, I'll take it. Because it's, it's kind of similar to the Walker Kessler thing. I don't – if if you're looking at Walker Kessler in the draft right now, will you, would you say, well, he's probably not an all-NBA guy, you know, so does that bump him down? Because he's going to be, you know, fringe all-star, great starter for the next 10 years. So, yeah, I, I really like Kaysen.
0: Yeah, sometimes we do get infatuated with, oh, hey, is the ceiling high enough? When, mm-hmm. honestly, you know, as you're starting to get further and further away from the top end of the lottery, it's it gets more and more uh, just a crapshoot and you're trying to find one guy in every seven. And, you know, someone who's just at such a foundational level, you know, in everything, mm-hmm. you know, to be a starter for 10 years, um, you know, that's... You can't un- you can't under- undervalue that that type okay. of uh, that type of uh, you know probability. So let's yeah. uh, let's go through the next couple of guys here in tier three. You talked about Anthony Black. Uh, you really like him. Uh, I also really like him too. We won't spend too much time on him. Gigi G. Jackson. Uh, he's a guy who, very differently from, Kaysen and Jarris who went to situations that you know were good for the team didn't showcase their skills and also different than Cam Whitmore bad situation where he couldn't show his skills Gigi went to South Carolina bad situation bad team but he showed all the skills he showed everything he could do so he what showed everything what did you showed. like what didn't you like
1: yeah i mean Gigi he just he's just an incredibly talented guy. He's another guy. I mean, he's younger than Cam Wentmore. He was the number one ranked guy in this upcoming class. So these guys that are about to go to college and he reclassified. Um, and I think going to South Carolina was probably a mistake for him. Maybe not. Maybe in a couple of years we'll see that, you know, the development he made was beneficial to him. But that team was a mess. Um, he kind of showed some signs of immaturity um but yeah i mean he, he's a really talented guy with him you kind of have to dig past the numbers and just trust your eyes with him because the way he can create space the way he can create off the dribble, knock down shots um i was really encouraged by how good of a shooter he is um but yeah gg it's kind of a i could see him being out of the league in a couple years And I could also see him being an all-star in a couple of years. Like he's just an extremely talented guy. And, you know, that creation from a forward spot's rare.
0: So my my comparison, if things go right, I I try to think of comparisons in, hey, if things go right, if things kind of go average and if things go bad, like who are Mm -hmm. they, that type of thing. If things go right, I, I think he's Chris Middleton basically. Yeah. Um. You know I the way he that. operates in the mid range, you know the way he generates space. You know that that type of thing. I, I I totally see see that for him. Um. I I really like Gigi. I think for me the appeal is in the process. You know, um, as opposed to the results. The results just weren't there. But the process, mm-hmm. how he was getting his shots. You know, tons of contested looks, all created all by himself. You know, at barely 18 years old right Mm -hmm. he's you know i think he's four or five months younger than even cam whitmore so like the dude is just super super young and uh you know great frame he's already filled out six nine six ten i mean i i just I'd, i'd be really really excited if uh if the jazz got him and and frankly you know i based on reading these mocks he's gonna be available at the minnesota pick yeah, and
1: he's kind of he's kind of turned into my favorite guy with that Minnesota pick because I I do trust the Jazz I trust the Jazz coaches, and if you can bring him into your situation and just let him develop the way you want, I mean he's basically just um, a ball of clay that you can take and use these skills and mold them into your team. Um, yeah, Gigi Gigi's awesome. Um, the thing with Gigi that I'll ask is. In two years, if you give Gigi two more years to develop and you put him on a team, so say you just slip him into the Alabama team, Mm. what do you think his numbers would look like?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, You know, if he had entered this year on Alabama, Sands, Brandon Miller, I think he's good. Uh, I think his numbers improve a little bit, but I think like the total volume and situations for him to display wouldn't really have been there, right? But yeah. say I, that he, he say that he moves from South Carolina, you know, this year goes to Alabama, and he's on Alabama next year. I think he's a monster. Uh, I yeah. think he would be a monster. And and there's already people who said if Gigi had stayed for next year, he'd be the number one overall pick.
1: Right. That's what I've seen. That because next year's class is already perceived to be pretty weak, and he was the number one guy in the class. So uh, another way I look at it is with that Minnesota pick. I mean, if you there's there's a chance that we won't keep our own pick next year so i mean if you if you just take a swing on gg he doesn't really play much this year he's in in the g league it's basically like you're you're getting the, a possible lottery pick yeah. next year yeah. with gg so I, I love the idea of taking gg and just um even if things don't break all the way right you're still getting an incredibly talented
0: player at a premium position so yeah absolutely and uh and even if he struggled the entire so i know some people are like oh you know he could be out of the league in 3 years i personally don't buy that because like he just barely turned 18 i mean we're seeing yeah i actually did we're, that, but I agree with you, we're yeah. seeing no we're seeing players as as just brutal and terrible performance wise who have missed entire years like james wiseman people are still trading like assets for him You know, so that that's kind of where I'm like, there's literally no downside, because even if he went the entire rookie season looked like a dumpster fire, somebody would say, hey, second draft, you know, we can go Mm -hmm. get that guy and we'll actually give up an asset for him. And so uh, I see zero downside with with grabbing GG personally. Right. Yeah. I mean, we still got Kevin Knox kicking around. the end, he's <laughs> yeah. for Jeez. Cause he was a top 10 pick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, just get these guys. So I agree. So let's talk Derek Whitehead. Now uh, this is another guy just like Gigi, just like Cam Whitmore. You know, he's already, uh, already filled out. You know, he's six, seven, six, eight, you know, he's super young 18 and a half um, and he went to a loaded team at Duke and underwhelmed a little at the start, really came on strong late, but really wasn't the player people thought he would be. So break down Derek Whitehead a little bit. You have him here at number 11. I don't remember from consensus, but I believe consensus he was, you know, in the back end of the teens, start of 20s. So this yeah, is a pretty big consensus. leap, and, and I'd love for you to explain it. Yeah, so the consensus has him actually
1: in the 20s so i mean he's really kind of fallen off a lot of people's uh lottery radar but same thing with Gigi jackson i mean coming out of high school this is one of the highest recruited guys i believe he was like the the high school player of the year um and he got off to just a a really poor start he had foot surgery right before the season he didn't look like his burst wasn't there athletically he didn't move well um and and i think that really hindered him he in his kind of end of season interview he he was really frustrated and um i actually like seeing that from him because i was like this is a guy that's not content with how he played even though i I remember that video yeah he finished the season pretty well but he he was frustrated he was ready to move on so I, i don't know if the situation at duke wasn't great for him but um incredibly talented um he's a shot creator he can you know, he can pull up from anywhere. He loves every shot, you know, um, and he really can shoot the ball. He was at 43% on the year from three for Duke. Um, and this was at with without his legs for most of the year. I mean, he, he looked slow. He looked kind of lethargic. Um, I don't even – he had, like, two dunks, I think I saw. Like, it was it was a just a really rough year for him. But I think he's a guy, you know, if he gets healthy – you know, if you can give him some time to get get right physically and and just keep working on his body, that those those tools kind of and the upside with him outweigh kind of the the safe or the um
0: the the outcomes of some of the guys I've got below him. Yeah, I think I just I think his shot is so nice. This shot is so nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just watch highlights. I mean, especially in in the tournament, he it was really coming to a shot, and mm-hmm. I think immediately, he's probably AJ Griffin. AJ Griffin went 16th in last year's draft, fell a bit again at Duke. Again, was a you know pretty pretty highly recruited guy, struggled kind of you know put into you know a role, mm-hmm. drafted to you know pretty loaded. The Hawks team, so we thought, carved out time. Really, really started performing uh, very, very well. And I think the Ringer did a, a redraft, and they had him going like eight from last yeah. last year's draft. And so I think immediately, he's AJ Griffin uh, physically and like from a uh, athletic standpoint. I think there's even more to plumb there, and and I think that's that's kind of to what you're speaking. You go back and look at the high school tape; it, he looks like mm-hmm. a f- completely different player than what he showed yeah. at duke
1: no i encourage everyone to go watch derrick in high school because he he could get his shot from anywhere he was driving past people he's dunking on people um i'll post a post a video of him dunking on uh grady dick for uh, jazz fan on on twitter <laughs> I like that one. But oh, yeah amazing. i mean he really he really is a better athlete than what he showed at duke so um, I think I think he's definitely a guy. Another guy that's probably going to be there with the Minnesota pick. Yeah, I, I would say and so. I, that I'd love for them to take a swing on. Him. So yeah.
0: And we're gonna all we're gonna circle back to Dariq in a second because I think he's so prolific a shooter. I think we I want to talk about him in this class of players like Grady Dick, Jordan Hawkins, Jet Howard. So we'll do that in a second. But uh, let's just wrap up this this tier three here for a second with taylor Hendricks. you mentioned you have him at 12 you're not quite buying that top 10 uh top eight type love that he's starting to get uh explain and and kind of maybe even share your thoughts about why it might not be a good an ideal fit for the jazz
1: and i would love if he went top eight because that means someone else is coming down to the jazz at nine but um my biggest thing with Taylor Hendricks is I think he's, he's being mislabeled as a wing mm. and he, he moves like a big, he played the big at um, UCF. Uh, they used him as a screener, as a roller and he would screen, he'd pick and pop. Um, he's, he's a good shooter. He really is a, a really good shooter. Um, his footwork doesn't look very good. He's kind of awkward getting into a shot, but he's so tall that, that a lot of people can't affect it. Um, but overall, I just don't think he moves very fluidly. Hmm, okay. Um, and I, I think that's a problem. That's that's not the guy I want to put in between Markkinen and Kessler, especially where they already kind of have a lack of creation. You know, Lowry showed some kind of towards the end of the year, but I don't think that's something that you can uh, project him to be like a primary creator or, or someone that you want running pick and rolls and stuff. He's a finisher, like you said. Um, and I think Taylor Hendricks is also a a play finisher. Um, he, he attacks some closeouts, um, but as far as creating with the ball, he, he just doesn't really give you anything. And he didn't really show any flashes either, even on a, a bad UCF team. Like he didn't show any
0: flashes that made me think that's something that he would do in the future. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely a play finisher. Uh, what I do like about him is his ability to play above the rim and then space out to the three right mm-hmm. yeah I think he can pick and roll I think he can pick and pop I think he can uh, you know switch out onto the perimeter and hang out for a good while before you know starting to uh, you know rotate back into the paint uh, you know which is nice um if the jazz selected him i'd be I'd be pretty excited because I think he would be. Uh, an ideal 28 minute a night combo 4 5. Backing up mm-hmm. Kessler, you could put him on the floor with Kessler for a little bit in stretches. You know, he could play right next to Marketing when Kessler's on the bench, that type of thing. I think that um, it would really solidify front court defense and shooting. Mm-hmm. I think it would just be insane, but you're lacking a lot of that creation. Uh, you're lacking passing. Uh, um, you're lacking, you know, some wiggle, some handle, right? And um, I, I get that. You know, he has all those things. Okay, he's going right top eight, but he may go top eight anyways. And and those are some things he's missing. Not saying he can't develop them, but
1: yeah. And even defensively, he's he's a really good defender. He can if he gets switched onto people, he can slide his feet well. He's a good rim protector. But he's not someone that you're going to put on the opposing team's best player. He's not, you know, he can't guard. Maybe he could guard Kawhi Leonard, but he's not going to be someone that you're just going to put on a guard. Like the Jazz would just throw Royce O'Neill at um, everyone's best player, regardless of position. And Royce just couldn't keep up with yeah. the guards. And I, I think Hendricks is the same way. So, like, he can, he's got a lot of versatility in the front court. And I do agree. If you have a three headed monster of and uh, Kessler and Hendricks. That's that's a great place to be. But as far as um, when you're building a team and you want your five best players on the court, I don't know as if those three fit perfectly.
0: Yeah, I think it would be awesome, but you need a, a really really talented passing guard, and you real and you need that takeover wing, and then I mm-hmm. think it it works out almost right. perfectly. But without those. You kind of run into the same same, skills that you're lacking every single time. Mm-hmm. And so, right. you know, like say Cam Whitmore, you know, Jazz traded up for him and, uh, you know, Hendricks was available with the Wolfs pick or something. I'd be ecstatic. I'd be ecstatic. Oh, yeah. But, Absolutely. you know, taking him alone, I like the fit. But again, it amplifies what I think the Jazz are still missing in, you know, someone take over who can create their own shots and and a real passer.
1: Right. And I think, so the reason I I kept him in this tier is because I think at some point um, the talent kind of outweighs the fit component. Because I think he is a talented player and he has far less questions than some of these guys below him. But yeah, he's not my favorite.
0: So let's talk tier four quick. Uh, this is kind of made up of uh, a lot of those shooters that we were talking about. So you have Nick Smith Jr. at 13, Jet Howard 14, Grady Dick 15, Jordan Hawkins 16, Keontae George 17, Jalen Hood Shafino 18, Bryce Sensibaugh 19, Chris Murray 20. So that rounds out tier four. So we've got a few shooters in here, Jet Howard, Grady Dick, Jordan Hawkins. And then you, uh, as a reminder, you had Dariq at 11 separated by a tier. How do we go about differentiating all these shooters? Each one, in my opinion, are just crazy, crazy elite shooters, like really, really prolific. Um, And not just standstill, catch and shoot, right? Like they've all got a little bit different. I think... You know, mm-hmm. Jordan Hawkins is incredible uh, at movement shooting. Um, I think Jet Howard kind of has the best balance of standstill and movement. I think Grady Dick is excellent standstill and off of those, you know, curl screens, for example. Um, so, how do we go about differentiating these? And which would you, which would have you preferred fit-wise for the Jazz? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I actually totally agree with that. So I think Hawkins is the best movement shooter. He's kind of your Kyle Korver, he's just running off of screens, and he can just get that ball up and shoot it shoot it accurately. Um, Grady is more, he's kind of a catch-and-shoot guy. He, he doesn't really move a ton. He likes to have his feet set, um, but he, he's, again, he's an awesome shooter. The reason I have Jet Howard above both of those guys yeah. is because he showed signs of um, creation. Uh, that i I just don't think the other two did um he especially early in the season at michigan he he started really hot a lot of people kind of had him up in their top tens at one point and then he had an ankle injury and kind of fell back a bit but he he showed you know just some self-creation um i think he can be a good secondary creator kind of like like a joe ingles was for the jazz um, and then he's just big. He's he's a lot bigger than Jordan Hawkins. Um, the the biggest concern with Jet and the thing that I think keeps him from being in that tier above him uh, is his lack of athleticism. Yeah. You know, I I saw something because when I last tweeted, I had him a tier up, and I saw something that he only had three dunks on the year, and that that to me was a really concerning number for someone that's six
0: foot eight. So, um, and, and it's not like Dariq, who showed it in right. high school, you know, mm-hmm. top of his recruiting class. Jet really wasn't even on the map. Went to play for his he dad, wasn't. and ha- has gotten a real opportunity and showed he's a player. He's absolutely a player. Yeah. Yep. But that lack of athleticism is hampering the defense. Dude doesn't rebound. You know, stuff like that at all. But out of out of these four, Jet, Grady, Jordan, and Dariq he easily has the best handle and more wiggle and shiftiness than any of the guys mm-hmm. do. I mean, he has, yeah. he has moves and he has counter moves and, and none of the other yeah. guys have that. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, he,
1: He's more of a guard than any of these other guys. Like he, he can handle the ball and, and create space, find open guys. But yeah, I agree.
0: So do you like his fit or, you, you know, I, I think you rank jet highest. Out of these mm, so, three, Darik is a bit higher even more. Mm, but, you know, say that they're all just just shooters and you draft them to mm, be a shooter. Maybe they plumb more. You know, which which do you like the fit best for the Jazz? Um, I do
1: like Darik's fit the best. Um, and that, that would be because of upside. I think Darik is also a guy that, um, you know, he can catch and shoot, but he can also get his own shot. Mm, yeah. I think that's valuable Um, then I'd go to Jet. same reason I think you know he can he can do some stuff other than than just being a shooter Um, then I would go with Grady I like Grady Um, he's a great shooter I'm a little lower on him than a lot of people just because I I don't buy uh, I don't buy the defense as much I don't think he's really going to be a guy that that, um, defends well he's a good team defender I mean he's a smart kid but um, I like him more than Hawkins because I like Grady's size. Yeah. Um, at six eight you can you know you can kind of hide him on a number of different players. and then Hawkins, um, we'll see what he measures in on the combine. He looks small to me, but he's he's a fantastic shooter and he's a guy that I think would would fit great with the jazz too.
0: Yeah Grady is a fantastic rebounder. The dude. is really, really prolific at his position uh, for rebounding. Uh, I also think he's pretty active, you know, defensively with, you know, blocks, steals, that type of thing. Um, And then I I feel like he's aware on defense. Um, I think it might be in athleticism, maybe some agility stuff Mm -hmm. to where, you know, he's not not always positioned right, you know, or he's a a step late, that type of thing. But I think he's aware and, and that's a good thing. He is he is I like that about him um I think he's a better defender than
1: than jet Howard is but yeah I would agree still he's not someone i you know buy the defense that much
0: all right so that was tier four uh we're going to talk tier five really quick you have at twenty one Bilal Couli he's from Metropolitan's 9 two playing with uh victor number two ryan repair Number 23, Colby Jones, 24, Maxwell Lewis, 25, Kobe Bufkin, 26, Noah Clowney, 27, City Sissoko, and 28, Derek Lively the second. The next picks that would round out the third round the first round are actually in uh, in AJ's tier six, and that tier six stretches well into the uh, second round, so we'll just cut it off here for tier five. Uh, Bilal Koulibaly through Derek Lively. So the one name that kind of sticks here that most fans probably don't know is Bilal. Uh, just kind of give us the rundown. I, I feel like a lot of these names people have seen on mocks. I've kind of seen the highlights. But again, the the spotlight was always on Victor early in the year. I mean, frankly, still is. And Bilal really hasn't kind of gotten shine or any of the the buzz kind of being in an international league under the uh, thumb in, in a way of, of Victor. So give give us a sense for Bilal what you like about him. What's kind of the bill on him?
1: So first and foremost is just his athleticism. He's another uh, just fluid mover. I mean, you can see when he gets out in transition, he just there's no stopping him and he's too fast, he's too quick. Um, he's a great, great jumper. His euro step is is awesome. I mean, his his highlights just are really some of the best I'd seen. And I do think actually playing with Victor's kind of helped boost his stock because when I first heard about him, I was listening. And they're like, yeah, and then there's there's this guy, Bilal Kulapali, and he looks like he could be a draft pick too. And so he kind of burst onto the scene. Um, I do think he's a guy that you'll start to see more of in mock drafts, kinda kind of around that Philadelphia pick. Yeah. Um, but he he really is just a fluid mover. I mean, he's shown creation, um potential, he's shown uh, defensive potential and then he's kind of turned into a, a pretty good shooter for um Metropolitan ninety two as well. Um, kind of as a as a role player for them with, with Vic and you know he's knocked down some shots. His shot looks good. Um, defensively, he, he just he's just a good-looking prospect.
0: Yeah, from a from a measurable standpoint, uh, you know, height wingspan, weight, um, and, and you know just overall fill. Right, he's he's about you know the same you know size, wingspan, all these things of City Sissoko, Leonard Miller. All right, so he's a nice you know really big forward who's already filled out you know he's not a bean puller or anything and uh and, and yeah he's he's pretty he's pretty interesting um again i believe let's see here he is you know just 18 and a half years old so he's even he's even uh, a few months younger than, than both those two who are getting some shine in the g league so right. um, definitely yeah. definitely be definitely be watching him as he starts flying up boards he's starting to get consistently mocked here in the end of the first round.
1: He is, for
0: sure. And I know a lot of people have uh, their eye on City Sissoko. I mean, you you as well have him at number 27. So all these guys could be in play for that uh, Brooklyn pick at the end of the first round, which would be really interesting.
1: Yeah. And and kind of all these guys, there's a lot of them in this group. Uh, Koulibaly, Rupert, yeah Max Lewis, Noah Clowney, CD Sissoko, they all are kind of this mold of just athletic, long, kind of raw, but but have shown flashes. And so any of these guys that the Jazz can kind of take a swing on and, and bring into their system, um, I, I would love. I mean, we've talked about the defense that the Jazz need to add to this group, and I think all these guys have the tools to be really good defenders.
0: All right, so that kind of wraps up the, the board for AJ here. Uh, and now I just want to give him a little bit of time to talk about talk about the season we kind of entered this year expecting you know kind of a tank fest turned out we were really good and a lot of that i think we attributed to the veterans early then it turned out we were still good after trading them which kind of points to it was probably lowry and walker all along who who just made us you know so good and then uh you know we've we're kind of settling here into the ninth pick and um we also you know, are, are are kind of seeing all these picks kind of kind of shape out. So, comment away on anything you you kind of uh, you know want to want to share about the team, the season, and any jazz thoughts so far. First off, we got to start
1: by saying we're Wizards fans.
0: <laughs> That's today.
1: right. And tomorrow, we need we need a Wizards win and a couple Jazz uh, losses to get to eight. But no, it it's been a successful season, I'd say, as far as player development. Um, Building a building a culture, going forward, and I, I think Will Hardy's just been a revelation. Like yeah. he is a phenomenal coach. Jazz are in great hands going forward. We have Walker, we have Lowry, we have Ochai, Colin Sexton. I mean, we really do have a good foundation, um, which is surprising considering you know a year ago we were looking around and it was like Donovan Mitchell's the only guy under like twenty five years old on this yeah. team. And, you know, I I wish that we could have, you know, navigated things to to get a little bit higher draft pick. Um, I think there was a couple games that we could have been a little more intentional with our our lineups and stuff like that. But it's been a great year, and you really can't complain about these guys playing well and playing hard. Um, So it's been a great year. It's been fun, Um, even though I wanted them to um get a better draft pick watching these guys develop has been so much fun and just just hoping uh and kind of projecting what these guys are gonna do in the future has been so much fun so um yeah so glad Lowry, walker ochai so glad we got those guys
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, AJ. Uh, and please, all of our listeners, give him a follow on Twitter at AJ3Jazz1. You, you can find him there. Uh, he's he's sharing a lot of draft stuff. Uh, also just a great, you know, general jazz, you know, follow. We appreciate you coming on, man. It was so fun diving into your big board and just chatting prospects. It, it'll be really, really okay. awesome to, to keep going as we get closer and closer to the draft. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun draft season.
1: Um, I don't know if we've ever had three picks, so it's, it's going to be a ton of fun. So,
0: yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, it was my pleasure. All right, so we're going to uh, you know leave you guys, as kind of we always do. Please subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't yet, uh, if you're on YouTube, you know, give us a subscribe subscription too as we're putting out these videos. And uh, please uh, give us a follow at Jabber underscore Jazz on Twitter. And as is customary here, we're gonna leave you with some sounds of jazz.